open your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 27. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 27. We've been in a, a relatively short sermon series for the past four weeks. We wrap it up today. We've been looking at Luke chapter 9 each Sunday. And this has been a sermon series on discipleship, on what it means to follow Jesus, what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so today we wrap that up. And each Sunday we've just taken a few verses and we've looked at one word that kind of captures a major theme of what discipleship to Jesus is all about. So we've looked at the word proclaim, withdraw, give, confess, and today, the word deny. Uh, Today, the word for us is deny. Uh, Jesus has been very clear that to be his follower, to be his disciple, is to join Jesus in the work of Jesus in our world. It's not to be an observer, to watch, or to just listen. It's not to just show up to a, a church service occasionally. It's to see what Jesus does, and then through the power of the Holy Spirit, join Jesus. Do the sorts of things that we see Jesus do. Uh, And so we'll wrap up our series today by looking at that in some very specific ways. I want to invite you to stand as we read this scripture together. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 27. If you're a guest with us this morning, each time we read scriptures, when we end, I will say this is the word of God, and then you enthusiastically can respond, thanks be to God. Let's read together out loud. Then he said to them all, whoever wants This is the word of God, and you may be seated. Our passage begins, Jesus, uh, or Luke records, he said to them all, Jesus said to them all, there's there's sort of a way that that the the, the camera lens zooms out a little bit here. We've been looking very uh, closely at Jesus' interaction, sometimes one-on-one, often one-on-twelve with his disciples as he explains to him, this is what it looks like to be my follower. And now, and it's not particularly clear, but it seems to pull back a little bit, he said to them all, there was typically onlookers, larger crowds following Jesus, and, and it's almost like Jesus is saying, okay, you've, you've been watching, you've been kind of noticing what I've been calling my disciples to, so are you interested? Do, do, do you want to be my follower? Do you want to be my disciple? It's like Jesus has said, look, you've already watched me send my disciples to proclaim the kingdom. You've seen how they withdrew with me to be refreshed and rejuvenated from the pressures of life and and of ministry. You saw my audacious expectation that they give 5,000 people food when there wasn't any food to be had. You've watched, you've you've seen, and and maybe now, maybe at this point, you're interested. You want to participate. You want to join. You want to become one of my disciples. Maybe you wonder, what does it take? What's the requirement? So here it is. Anybody who wants to be my follower, anybody who wants to be my disciple, here it is. Let me lay it out for you. Let me be real succinct. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. 
Like not real complicated, right? <laughs> you want to be my follower? Here's what it is. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Uh, Jesus would have been horrible at marketing, I think. Like, like, Jesus would not have done well with advertising campaigns, right? Because in marketing, I, I'm not a marketer. My understanding is marketing, you're trying to get people to do something, right? And, and Jesus here, deny yourself. Take up your, like, that's not, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want that. And, and so I, I think for us this morning, as we listen to Jesus' words, there, there can be a, a, a tendency to sort of put Jesus in this sort of religious camp where we think about God as one who primarily asks us to not do things. God as someone who tells us, don't do this. You shouldn't do this. You're not about this. We, we, we live in a, a, a culture, a time, a society that um, doesn't particularly like the idea of denying ourselves. Would you agree? It's not like... Uh, not something that most of us give our lives to, this idea of denying ourselves. The, the, the Super Bowl ads this year, did you know they had previews for the ads? Did you hear this? Anybody hear this? I don't, I don't think I just made this up. Did anybody? Okay, Brent at least, okay, and, and, and Derek, okay. So you guys can back me up. I didn't just, there were previews for the ads, which is crazy, right? Like you go to a movie and you see previews for another movie, right? But like, not even the whole ad. They were just giving you, like, sneak peek of the advertisement. Right? Like, like, how does that make sense? Well, it makes sense because we live in a world that says, really, your goal is to satisfy yourself. If you don't have it, get it. If you're lacking this, do your best to possess it. So we can hear Jesus deny yourself, pick up your cross. It doesn't sit well, I think with the overall trajectory and direction of the world that we live in. What do you think of when you hear Jesus say, deny yourself? An image of a God, perhaps, who is, again, interested in what you don't do, what you're not supposed to do. We may think of a, a celibate priest, right, who's not allowed to have sex, or a, a teetotaling fundamentalist Christian who will abstain even from getting close to alcohol, right? Or the, the old Baptist joke about not dancing because, you know, it might lead to something else. It might lead to listening to music. <laughs> right, so we can think of God in this sort of way, right? This is a God who's interested in what we don't do, what we shouldn't do. But this is, Jesus doesn't say that, right? He simply says, deny yourself. So, so what does he mean? What is he, what is he getting at here? Well, I think the answer comes in the, the next two verses immediately following here. For whoever wants to save their life, Jesus says, will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for you to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit your very self? Here's what I think Jesus is after, and I, and I wrote this down so we, Renee, you can put this up here. Denying myself means rejecting the instinct to save myself by gaining the world. Denying myself means rejecting the instinct to save myself by gaining the world. Now, some of you are like, that is completely unhelpful. Like, that, doesn't, that doesn't clarify anything for me, right? So let, let's see if we can try to unpack this just a little bit here. See, Jesus, Jesus says that whoever wants to save their life, will lose it. 
whoever desires to save their life will lose it. It's the wanting, the desiring to save our life that seems to be the issue here. This is a human instinct. We desire to save ourselves. I don't think most of us need any convincing that something in our lives isn't right. And whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're a religious person or not, like it's not a stretch to go, my life could be better than it is. And there's things that I wish I would do, but I just can't seem to, to get the energy to do them. Or things I wish I would stop doing that I just seem to keep doing, right? It doesn't take a lot of effort to sort of get to this idea that as human people, we, we, need, we need some kind of salvation, rescue, satisfaction. We want this. We desire this. And for Jesus, this seems to be part of the issue. It's the wanting to save ourselves. The scriptures are full of people like Cain, Abraham, and Sarah, the Israelites in the wilderness, who recognize something that is lacking and then trying to find the salvation for it. What good is it for you to gain the whole world and yet lose your very self? Denying myself means rejecting the instinct to save myself by gaining the world. Again, we're not dumb people. We know that there's some sort of a need for salvation, but we also know that it's not a salvation that we can just call out of thin air. We can't just conjure it up in ourselves. We can't just snap our fingers and and have it miraculously happen. We know that this salvation we know we need has to come from somewhere else. By gaining the world. And so we grasp, we grab, we manipulate, we oppress, we undermine, we steal in order to possess that thing, that person, that experience that promises to satisfy us, to placate us, to rescue us, to save us. And so Cain extends power over his brother Abel and takes his life. Abraham and Sarah place their hope in an unborn child and force their servant Hagar to bear her master's son. The Israelites create for themselves an identity that would be acceptable and understandable to their neighbors by forming a a visible God crafted from gold, a God who could be seen, whose existence could be proven. I don't think I need to convince you of this, of this thing in us that looks for salvation out there somewhere, in that thing, in that person, in that experience, in that accomplishment. There are some of you who are single, who have a a notion that if I could get married, or at least have the prospect of marriage, then that thing in me would finally be satisfied. Ironically, there are others of us in this church who are married and who think, if I could just get my spouse to really understand me, to really accept me, to really see me, then that thing in me would finally be satisfied. There are others of us who are going through massive life transitions right now, new jobs, going back to school, 
if we can just get through this, if I can just power through this, if I can just make it through this time, then finally, finally, my life will be, I will have accomplished, I will be, I will have arrived. Others of us acknowledge sort of this raging emptiness. We turn again to the internet porn. We medicate ourselves. We entertain ourselves to distraction. We think, if, if I can just get that, if I can just buy that, that thing, that'll be the thing. Right? It, it wasn't the iPhone 4, but the iPhone 5, that's going to be, that's going to, it's going to fill the hole in my heart. I have one. It doesn't, just so you know. Others of us, we kind of spiritualize this, right? Like, I just want to make a difference in the world. I just want to change lives. If I can just change this neighborhood, if I can just make a difference in that person's life, then, 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 then. Others of us are striving after acceptance, finding the acceptance of our peers, our boss, our parents. And here's, here's the thing that we've got to be really honest about. We can do it. We can actually get the thing. Jesus says, you can gain the world. You can, you, can, you can possess it. You can accomplish it. You can experience it. You can, you can make it to that thing that promises finally to save you, to satisfy you, to comfort you, to protect you, to validate you. And yet the honest people this morning in the room, I think, would acknowledge, because we've been there and done that, that once we've come to possess it, the need remains the same. Yes? Maybe only worse now for having been exposed as not having the capacity to satisfy us. What good is it for you to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit your very self? Let's be real clear about this. Jesus is not simply saying, not only saying, not to pursue these sorts of things. Jesus is, is actually saying that discipleship to him requires us to reject the very instinct, the very desire, the very want to save ourselves with these things. The vision here is not for rejection of the world. Let's be really clear about that this morning. The vision here is not for rejection of the world, but rejecting our desire to save ourselves with what the world has to offer. That makes sense. <laughs> what does this look like? You get a glimpse of this from Jesus' life in Luke chapter 4. His cousin John has just baptized him in the Jordan River. And the text says that the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days. Just so you know, that's kind of where we get the idea of a Lenten fast that lasts for 40 days. And he's in the wilderness and he's confronted by the enemy who he will one day defeat on the cross. And verse 5 of chapter 4 reads, The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all the authority and splendor it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. 
if you worship me, it will all be yours. You can have it all, Jesus. You can gain the world. Jesus, of course, walks away from this. Jesus has rejected the very notion, the very idea, the very premise that salvation could be gained through anything of the world. It's not that we see Jesus going through his life working really hard, trying really hard, striving really hard to reject the world's many false offers of salvation. It's that his starting point was a rejection of the very premise that true satisfaction could be found anywhere other than his Father's will. What about you? Do you share this premise, this idea? This is why we set aside this season of Lent as a time to deny ourselves. Not as a religious act trying to gain God's approval. Not to try to be obedient to some religious standard of those things we're not supposed to do. We set this time apart so that we can push aside anything that is clamoring for our attention, for our allegiance, for our dependence. A time to clear space, to consider honestly, what is it that you and I look for, for our salvation? Deny yourself. Take up your cross, Jesus says. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily. Jesus has started with the negative, what you must not do in order to be my disciple. Deny yourself. Reject any promise of salvation that would promise you the world at the cost of your very self. This is the negative move of discipleship, what we do not do, what we reject, what we move away from. And then he moves to the positive, what disciples are expected to do. But before we get too excited about that word positive, let's, let's pay attention to the positive action, the thing we are to do. It's to take up our cross daily. And just as maybe the command to deny ourselves isn't immediately clear, so I think this command to take up our cross deserves a little unpacking as well. What does it look like to take up your cross? First, it looks like humiliation. Let's remember this morning that the cross was not a religious symbol at this time. It wasn't something that people wore around their necks. There were no churches with crosses in them. The cross was one thing and one thing only. It was an execution method that the Romans used very publicly, very regularly, very effectively. Some preachers and theologians have said that it's almost as though Jesus commanded us to, to take up our lethal injection to take up our electric chairs and for all of its grotesqueness. I don't think that's quite right. Because the Romans chose the cross not for its efficiency, like our modern forms of the death penalty, nor for its privacy as we tend to think about executions. Why did they choose the cross? Why did they use the cross? They chose it for its power to humiliate. It was a way of demonstrating power over the victim as well as anyone associated with that victim. This is why Jesus' disciples scatter 
because they're implicated in his hanging on the cross. They too have been publicly shamed, publicly humiliated. This is tender ground for us. What is it that we can kind of rightly compare the cross to for its power to humiliate and to oppress? The theologian James Cone, I think, gets it right in his latest book when he compares the cross of Christ to the lynching tree of our nation's not-so-distant past. I'm reading right now a biography about Ida B. Wells. Some of you know her. She lived in Chicago at the turn of the century. She was a journalist, African-American woman originally from Mississippi and Tennessee, who ended up in many ways leading the cause, the crusade against lynching. It was her work who eventually, that eventually changed the laws in our country to outlaw the practice of mob lynching. When we read the accounts and see the pictures, some of them placed on postcards of lynching, it becomes absurdly, devastatingly clear. These brutal executions had everything to do with humiliating the victim and his or her associated community. It was a depraved way of dehumanizing not just the tortured and killed victim, one who was often, most of the time, innocent of the crimes they were accused of. It was a way of humiliating an entire community. This is not an easy thing to consider this morning. What sort of a Messiah, what sort of a rabbi would call his disciples to this sort of humiliation? How can this be good? And my only hint of an answer so far is that it must be a Messiah who himself would go to the cross. It must be a Messiah who himself would be humiliated on the cross. And yet who, as Paul says, would scorn the shame, the humiliation of the cross. So taking up our cross, it looks like humiliation. It also looks like abandonment. It's not getting any better, is it? Deuteronomy chapter 21 in the Old Testament reads, anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. Now, some of the religious leaders during Jesus' day had interpreted this passage to mean anybody who was crucified had been cursed by God. This was sort of in the air, the expectation. There will be times, church, when following Jesus feels as though you have been abandoned by God. This is one of the great mysteries of our faith. This is one that we would choose to avoid. Amen? 
we choose to look away from. And yet the Scriptures testify over and over that this has been the experience of the people of God over the generations. And so the poet cries out in Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from cries, my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Let me be really direct with you today. If you follow Jesus long enough, if you take your faith seriously enough, if you expect to mature as a disciple of Jesus, there will be seasons when you feel abandoned by God. You will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You will, as Jesus was, be led into the wilderness where you are tested and tried. And the promise of Moses to Joshua, it's true for us. The Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Yes, but. But when we take up our cross, we will not always feel that presence. What sort of a Messiah would dare to call you and I to an experience of faith that will at times seem as though God himself has turned away? And again, I can only hint at an answer when I say that it must be a Messiah who hung on the cross himself and cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? The same one who, though he had known perfect communion with the Father from eternity past, became the only one to ever know the true anguish of abandonment. Our sin, the world's evil, crashing onto his body for us and for our salvation. Taking up our cross daily looks like humiliation. It looks like abandonment at times. And it also and finally looks like death. Though the cross is, is certainly more than a symbol of death, it is also not less than that. When Christ calls a man, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, he bids him come and die. What sort of a Messiah would call his disciples to a life that often feels like death? It must be a Messiah who would rescue us from our death in sin through his sacrificial death for our sins. It must be the sort of Messiah whose resurrection ultimately defeated death. If you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Following Jesus certainly involves denying ourselves and taking up our cross. N.T. Wright, a theologian, he puts it this way. The world is being turned upside down, and anyone who wants to come through and be present when God's kingdom appears will have to be prepared to be turned upside down and inside out with it. Anybody know what it means to be turned upside down and inside out? At this point, it is a very fair question. At this point in the sermon, it is a very fair question to say, who on earth would want to do this? 
Who would say yes to Jesus' invitation to be his disciple? And the answer is no one. No one in their right mind. That is, no one unless it is Jesus who is issuing the invitation. Let me do my best to not sound trite or cliche here, but it is Jesus who, though he denied himself, though he made himself nothing, has now been exalted to the highest place. And it is Jesus, though he humbled himself to death, even death on the cross, the grave was unable to hold him, was unable to humiliate him. The, the only one who can rightly call you and I to self-denying, cross-carrying discipleship is the one whose sacrificial denial on the cross made possible the victory over sin and death and evil. I know, this is one of those sermons where it's like, it's bad news, but it's good news too, yes? Let's, let's make no mistake about it. Let's not sugarcoat it at all today. Discipleship to Jesus will mess you up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Discipleship to Jesus will mess you up. It will ruin your life. But it will lead to true Those who travel this way find that what seemed like humiliation leads to glory. And what seemed like death is in fact abundant and eternal life. This way of discipleship leads to our finding, Jesus says, our true selves. It's an interesting phrase. What does this mean, finding our true selves? Well, think Think about this for a minute. What happens when nothing in this world can claim power over you? What changes in you? What happens when the, when the world no longer has any power to humiliate you? What changes then? What happens when the shame that has been in the corners of your mind is once and for all vanquished? What is the result when you have gone through hell, through the most painful circumstances of your life, only to find that you are still standing, that God has still been faithful and has carried you through? What changes when we can testify that what seemed in the moment like abandonment by God was in fact the season when God was most at work in our lives? Jesus says this is when you find your true self. This is when we find the woman or the man who God created us to be originally. This is when we discover the miraculous ability to reflect the very image of the transcendent God to a world who desperately needs to know that God. We find ourselves. In Jesus, denying ourselves leads to finding ourselves. How's that for a paradox? In Jesus, what seems like humiliation becomes our glory. 
In Jesus, what felt like total and complete abandonment will one day be seen as God's purifying and refining presence. In Jesus, what looks like death to the world, we know as the way to abundant and eternal life. If any of you are ashamed of me and my words, Jesus says, the the Son of Man will be ashamed of you when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. He's looking forward. He's looking forward to the day when he will come again. There will come a day, Jesus says, when discipleship no longer looks strange or surprising. There will come a day when Jesus returns in glory, not as the suffering and crucified Savior, but as the majestic and resurrected King. On this day, those who have followed the narrow way of Jesus will find their King beaming with pride. For these disciples came to love their King more than their own lives. These disciples trusted Him enough to make His example how however paradoxical, however surprising to make his example their pattern for this life. Church, on that day, on that day, despite all of our imperfections, despite the many, many times that you and I have wandered from the path of discipleship, despite the many times that we have exchanged Christ's promise of life for the world's empty claim of salvation. On that day, the glorious Son of Man will not be ashamed of us. For we have been living out His pattern of the Gospel. Denying ourselves, taking up our crosses, and following Him. On that day, He will welcome us, men and women who in obedience to their Savior denied themselves took up their cross, and followed him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask now that you would make the hard words of Jesus good news to us. Lord, we pray that you would um, that you would do what you must do in our imaginations that have been so conformed to a way of living that seeks to satisfy our needs and our desires, that sees our best hope when we are most powerful, most accomplished. And she would take these minds and reform them so that we can begin to imagine a way of living a way of discipleship that reflects our Savior, that reflects the life and the death and the beautiful, victorious resurrection of our Savior. So so let this be good news to our soul today. Let the hope that is embedded in these words ring true to us, that we're not just hanging on but that we have hope in this life, that we have hope today to live 
our meaningful, beautiful lives. That, that, that we have hope today and in this season that we're entering into to, to walk away from anything that has offered us salvation and then sunk its tentacles into us. That there's a, another way uh, for us to live today that is hopeful, that allows the power of the Holy Spirit to uh, bear good fruit in our lives. That there is a way of living as, as free people who are unencumbered by, by the world's claims on our life. Give, give us a, a, a deep and resonant hope today. One that cannot easily be washed away by any circumstance we'll face after this service. Give us a deep hope today that cannot be uh, forgotten as, as some other shallow offer of salvation is made to us. Give us the, uh, the deep hope today, the, the, the deep and lasting hope in you today that would allow anything else that has made these false promises to us be seen as just that, false. It's having no real power having no hope of changing, saving, rescuing, satisfying, placating our lives. So give us a gospel hope today, we pray. Thank you that we, that we uh, uh, step onto this uh, 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 road of discipleship, that we enter through this narrow gate of discipleship, and, and we, don't, we don't just have to try to make it up as we go, but that we have a Savior who, who walks ahead of us, who has shown us what this looks like. And we have a Savior who, who, who conquered sin, death, and evil, who, who now rules and reigns and empowers us through the power of His Holy Spirit for this journey. We thank you that as we walk this path of discipleship, the Scriptures tell us that our lives have been hidden in Christ. We lack nothing for the life that you've called us to live. So give us the sort of hope this morning, God. Take the hard words of Jesus. Take the, the challenging, convicting words of Jesus. Allow them not to be a heavy burden that would press us down. To be words of life to us today. An invitation to another way of living. In Jesus' name. that we sort of hold these things together today and remember that it's Jesus who welcomes the children, calls the children to himself. There, there's no way for us to walk out this morning and think, okay, I just got to work harder. I just got to try harder. I just, I, I just got to do this myself. 
It's all praise, church. This, this, this journey that we've been called to, as hard as it sounds to us this morning, it's all grace. It's grace that allows us to step onto this path with Jesus. It's grace that will sustain us for this journey with Jesus. And it's grace that will see us home one day when Christ returns. Amen? So receive the benediction. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling. Let me say that again. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you without blemish before the presence of his glory with rejoicing. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And the church said, amen. Thanks for being with us this morning. Make sure you haven't already to greet, to welcome Ariella. Uh, if you want to talk or stay after for prayer, please feel free to do that. Otherwise, come a little before 7 p.m. this Wednesday night, the end of that hallway there as we begin our Lenten journey together. Go in peace.